Turn with me, please, in the scriptures to 1 Samuel, the second chapter, and then we're going to turn on over to the 16th chapter of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 2, then I think we're going over to chapter 16. Let's uh, release our faith. I began last Friday talking about, I believe we'll call it now, great value. And um, thought maybe we'd just do one message on it, but it quickly ballooned into more. And I won't guarantee you that we'll finish it tonight. We'll, and, and are we in a rush to, you know? Uh, but uh, very, very important. And our text here that we're, well, just go ahead and put it up there in First uh, Samuel 2 and 30. First Samuel 2 and 30. It says, uh, the latter part of it, he said, uh, them that honor me, I will honor. They that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Let's all say that out loud a time or two. Them that honor me, I will honor. And they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. One more time. Them that honor me, I will honor, God said. And they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. So we began talking about this uh, last week. And there's some very specific things. I've gotten enlightened about it middle of this week. uh, A direction I didn't even know we would be going from here. But it makes perfect sense. How many know God is really, really smart? He's like so smart. (laughs) He's so smart that what we call smart looks dumb beside him. But uh, all we have to do is follow him. And we'll wind up at some great places. But um, in talking about this, the Lord reminded me that back in July of 2010, we began a series called Honor to Whom Honor. And if you were not in that, and even if you were, let me encourage you. The Lord reminded me to tell you and encourage you, get in that and feed on that. The Lord really helped us. It's an in-depth study of the subject we're talking about. I don't know. It's 17 parts to it. So I don't know that we'd spend that much time now talking about it. And really it would help to have that foundation to know what's going on with this. But it talks about honor and respect, and it talks about how society has lost a lot of this in this and previous generations and why. And we talk about a number of things. We talk about the five eyes of disrespect. (laughs) We take a session on each one of these, five eyes of disrespect, words that begin with I. Ignoring, interrupting, intruding, interfering, insulting. <laughs> and uh, it's, every one of these is eye-opening. Uh, and let me just encourage you, it won't cost you anything. Right? Honor to whom honor? 
You can go tonight and get the whole thing online. And again, no charge, no charge. And, and we know what no charge means. No, no charge means no excuse for not knowing it, not getting it. So uh, let's pray and release our faith for which direction we're supposed to go with this. We're not supposed to go the exact same direction as that, which is why I mentioned that. If you don't know those things, man, you need to. You need to. But this is going a little bit different direction, but it's connected to that. What did the Lord say? Them that honor me, I will honor. But he didn't stop there. Those that despise him will be lightly esteemed, which is another way of saying despised. In other words, he's going to treat you and your things exactly the way you treat him and his things. And I don't think everybody knows that. Do you? I think a lot of people have the idea that he's going to treat you as valuable, important, and your things, no matter how you treat his. But it just doesn't work. Now, he'll love you no matter what. But that doesn't mean he can treat all of your things and what you're doing as valuable when they're not. How many understand that not everything everybody's doing on the planet is valuable? Are valuable to God are his things. But everything in life operates off the granddaddy principle of sowing and reaping. And if you sow honor and respect, you're going to reap honor and respect. If you're always upset because you think people don't treat you with enough respect, guess what? What have you been sowing? How much Respect seed do you have in the ground. So let's pray and release our faith to see which direction the Lord wants us to go with this right now. Father in Jesus name. We come together agreeing as touching this. We ask for utterance, direction, clarity. Eyes that see, ears that hear, hearts that can discern and understand. Uh, Help us to see exactly what you're saying to us and showing us right now, because you know what's most needed right now. You know what's coming up next, what we need to be prepared and built up for. And so we ask for it, and we believe we receive it, and we yield ourselves to your spirit and to your word. And we say, by your grace, we'll not be forgetful hearers or hearers only. We'll do it. We'll put it into practice, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. He said, them that honor me, I will honor. They that despise me will be lightly esteemed. Now, uh, look in the 16th chapter there, as we mentioned. 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, when he told him to go down to Jesse's house because he had selected one of his sons to be king instead of Saul. And uh, he marched out the boys beginning with the firstborn. And interesting thing, you learned some things about how the Lord works. The Lord didn't tell him uh, which one it was. He told him which one it wasn't. <laughs> and he filed the boys by one at a time. He said, no, that's not him. Brought the next one. No, that's not him. Brought the next one. No, that's not him. Well, did the Lord know who it was? 
you think it'd, it'd have saved time, been more efficient if you just told him who it was? You know, you're not smarter than him, are you? So there's a reason why he's doing this, this way, and there always is. And we don't, we never need to think we're smarter than him. Just do it the way he says do it. The Lord said concerning David and concerning these others, he said, look not out on his countenance or on the height of his stature. I've refused him, talking about one of the older boys here, for the Lord sees not as man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. With him, with God, it's always about the heart. Always. And if we become more like him, then with us, it's about the heart. As opposed to what? External. External. Man, you know, if everybody got a hold of this, it would do away with prejudices of all kind. Wouldn't it? Now, when you talk about prejudice, people a lot of times think of race. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. People are, this group is prejudiced against this group all through humanity. There's uh, people that are prejudiced against uh, young people. Young people are prejudiced against older people. Right? Educated prejudiced against uneducated. Uneducated prejudiced against the educated. Poor people prejudiced against rich people. Rich people prejudiced against poor people. And in all groups of uh, religion, so-called, denominations that look down on each other. How many know you're foolish if you judge any whole group of people based on one person or something external? Because how would you know who they are and what they are? And you have people saying it all the time. Well, all men are like that. You know all men? Well, all women are like that. All those Pentecostals are that way. All those Catholics are that way. All rich people are that way. That is an ignorant thing to say. Because it's just not true. I mean, you can take people in the same family. Grew up together. And siblings can be night and day difference. Is that right? I got got some agreement on that one. (laughs) Well, if we know this then we would understand it is so... Just because you've had a a, a bad experience with somebody that has something similar to this person you're dealing with now, you need to have... Understand, God looks at the heart. And that's what determines whether this is a good person or not a good person. It's the heart. And you can't tell that. Now, there's some indications of it, but just by a cursory glance or because of an age or a status or education or a skin color, you can't tell anything about that. How many of you got mean white people and you got good white people, right? And you got mean black people and you got good black people. And, And every group and every age and both genders and it goes on and on. What, tell me what God's looking at. What God's looking at? The heart. Pray this with me right now. Say, Father God, Help me me to develop develop and grow up up and be spiritual and and not judge judge after the outward appearance. appearance. 
but see like you see and discern the hearts. I ask it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Now that's going to mean that you ought not jump to judgment too quickly. Right? A lot of things, you're going to have to be around them a little bit. You're going to have to, it's going to take a little time for you to really begin to discern not just what's outside, but what's inside. Now, there's a number of reasons why I'm talking about this, because this has to do with what you value. What you value in your heart is going to help identify what kind of person you are. We're going to come back to this over and over again. In fact, go to Proverbs right now, please. Book of Proverbs. 27th chapter. You know, racial prejudice is just ignorant. And it's hypocritical. For one thing, what are you? We're mixed. Big time. Is that right? Most folks in here can't trace their racial genealogy back five generations or ten. So whatever it is you, you might get be getting worked up about that you think you're better than this, you don't like this. Well, that's what you are. You're talking about yourself. And if you don't believe that, you don't believe the Bible. Because all of us go back to Noah. And then back to Adam and Eve. We all got the same grandma and grandpa. Well, what about the different colors? Simple. Has to do with the sun. There's really more to that than you might think. There really is. If you stay out in the sun a lot, you get darker. You might think that's silly. Study it. Study it and see. It has to do with births. It has to do with the blood. It has to do with a number of things. But uh, let me ask you this. What color is God? (laughs) People say, he's white. Really? Good people say, I think he's black. You know what color he is? He's red. He's the color of fire. And of course, fire has in it other colors too. But if you look up the different verses that talk about it, it, it describes red. And uh, he's a fire from his loins up and a fire from his loins down. But I don't think we should spend a lot of time trying to figure out color. Do you? What's God looking at? Looking at your hair. Somebody said, thank you, Lord. He's not looking at my hair. (laughs) Skin color is no different from eye color or hair color. It's pigment. What's God looking at? Come on, help me out heart. He's looking at the heart. And that matters. And people like, well, everybody, you know, has got a good heart. Actually, they don't. No, they don't. And that's got nothing to do 
with the outside. Well, what determines what's a good heart and what's not a good heart? Because God, the Bible said, he is seeking, and if you could allow me to use this word, he's scanning the whole world. And he's looking for those whose heart is perfect or whole towards him, that he might show himself strong on their behalf. God wants to show up for people who's got a good heart towards him and a right heart. And it doesn't matter where you come from or your background. If he sees the right heart, he's going to do some things for you. Nothing to do with the outside. Now, uh, if you didn't like part of those last comments, there's probably no reason to write any letters about it. I don't. I don't think we'll need to change any of that. In Proverbs 27, 21, I'm going to read a couple of translations of this. The Young's literal translation says, A refining pot is for silver, a furnace for gold, a man according to his praise. The crucible, the refining pot, separates the pure from the impure. So that you can get pure silver or pure gold. And he said a man is this way to his praise. Now people, uh, translators, have translated this two different directions. But listen to the Amplified on this. The Amplified says, As the refining pot for silver and the furnace for gold bring forth all the impurities of the metal, so let a man be in the trial of his praise. For a man is judged by what he praises and of what he boasts. What you value shows what you are. It reveals your heart. If you treasure and value evil stuff, that reveals a bad heart. If you treasure good things... It shows a good heart. What you praise, what you value, what you go on and on about, huh? What's important to you, what you talk about, what you praise. You wouldn't be praising it if you didn't think it was worth anything, if you didn't value it. Luke 6 talks about these things. Luke 6.45. Luke 6.45 says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what? That which is good. Evil man, now the, the word evil has a connotation in our modern society that it didn't necessarily have in all these verses. We'd probably say a lot of times today, bad, instead of just saying evil. Can you see, it's always contrasted with good, right? And today we'd probably just say good and bad. But an evil man or a bad man has some of the same meaning. Out of the evil or bad treasure of his heart brings forth that which is evil or bad. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Well, that goes along with the verse we just got through reading. Whatever you're talking, whatever you're praising, whatever you're magnifying... That shows what's valuable to you on the inside. And whatever's valuable to you shows what kind of heart you have. 
And it also shows what you qualify for or what you don't qualify for. We talked last week what Jesus said about don't cast your pearls before swine. Don't give that which is holy to the dogs. Why? Don't give precious things to those that have no appreciation for it. That have no, don't value it. God's going to give his precious things to those that value them. And you can tell what people value by listening to them. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. People that are only interested in bad things, they might be able to put on a front for a little while. But if you're around them enough, whatever you're full of is what's going to come out. They're going to want to talk about that. I've had people that knew I was a preacher, but after being around me, they just couldn't help themselves. They start talking dirty stuff and off-color stuff. Why? Because they're so full of it. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's not just that you don't want to let slip a cuss word. You don't want to be full of that for it to come out. Right? Amen. Whatever you're full of is what's going to come out when the pressure comes on. Amen. You might maintain a front in front of other people. But when the pressure comes on, you forget about all that, don't you? Yeah. And then what's really in you is coming out. Amen. You know, they, they got cockpit voice recorders of planes that have crashed. that They've been able to recover some of them. And, and uh, a lot of them... In the last moments, there's not good things coming out of their mouth. They are cursing and all this other. But some of them, they're good things. Praising God. <laughs> How many understand that, you know, in moments before you meet your maker, you don't want to be cursing and blaspheming. <laughs> but you can't just flip a switch and become something that you're not. Whatever you're full of is going to come out. And whatever you feed on all the time and whatever is important to you and you desire or you lust after or you treasure, that's what you are. Just like the the furnace is to the silver and gold, your praise and value is to your own heart. It shows your own value and your own worth. To be like him. We must value what he values and despise what he despises. Do you want to? You want to be like him? Then you got to treasure what he treasures. You got to find out what's important to him. And it's got to become important to you. Pray it out loud if you mean it. If you don't, don't. But if you do, say it out loud. Father God, God, open my eyes. eyes. Reveal Reveal to me. What you value and what you despise. What's important to you and what's unimportant to you. I want your values to be my values. Your priorities to be my priorities. Because you are right. I ask it in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Go with me to Genesis 25, please. Everybody all right? You comfortable? In these paid-for chairs? Huh? You comfortable? 
Branson's comfortable in their chairs. If you're watching by internet, I hope you're comfortable. I don't know. But uh, I know you can be. God will help you. He'll, He'll give you a good place. Give you a good comfortable place. But you need to value what he values. How many think there's a lot of folks could be with us tonight? Now, you know, there may be a few odd cases that somebody, the Lord led them to do something else. A few. <laughs> Very few. But a whole lot of people, why aren't they with us? They don't value this enough. And some of the other stuff they're doing, is it valuable? A lot of stuff people are doing, it's a waste of their time. Now, we can't throw any stones. You ever wasted any time? Oh, yes, you have. But do we have months and days and hours to waste? Do we? We don't. We need to spend our time on valuable things. Things that matter to God. Things that matter. In Genesis 25, notice this. This is the story of Jacob and Esau. And how... Esau came in hungry and Jacob just happened to have a big pot of stew on. And uh, Esau said, give me some of that. I'm hungry. And and, uh, Jacob said, "Uh, how much you give? (laughs) Jacob's a businessman. (laughs) He drives a hard bargain. And uh, he said, I I don't have anything on me. And he said, well, send me your birthright. Now, that's a lot to ask. Now, why would Jacob ask him for that? Because to him, it was something he wanted that didn't belong to him. Because hmm? the birthright went to the firstborn. And he wasn't. And so it was never supposed to be his. But he always wanted it. (laughs) He always thought, man, that birth. Why would you want the birthright? Because with the birthright came the blessing of the firstborn, which was a greater blessing than on any of the rest of the kids. It was the blessing to continue the family as the head of the family. And to Jacob, it meant something. He thought, man, if I had that blessing, what I could do, what I could accomplish, what I could get. But apparently, Esau didn't feel that way about it. Esau said, verse 32, behold, I'm at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? What good will it do to me? Now, now let's, let's hold on. Is the boy really going to die? He's already made it back to the house. Right? If brother doesn't give him some of this stew, is he really just going to lay down here and die? No. Mama's tent's right over there. (laughs) Or auntie or whoever. I mean, I don't know where you grew up, but where I grew up, if you're anywhere around the house, you ain't going to starve. So, 
He said, I'm, I'm about to die. What profit shall this birthright do to me? Now, can you hear by the language, this birthright? He doesn't respect this. He doesn't value this. Hey, you've heard similar things, you know, you know, just what, what I just got through doing a moment ago. I stood up and I said, as the Lord's representative, I speak over the people. Be blessed. Be fruitful. Multiply. Increase. There's a lot of people despise that. I'm not, not talking about people in here or, or in Branson. I hope not. But there's a lot of people that hear something like that and they go, who does he think he is? You really think that's going to make a difference in your life? Hmm? Sarcasm is revealing disrespect. It's revealing despising, belittling it, minimizing it. Well, let's pray and release our faith. Oh, pray. Okay. All right. Yeah, pray your little prayer. What does that mean? They don't respect it. And if you don't respect him and his things, you're not going to be respected from heaven. Esau said, what profit shall this birthright do to me? And verse 33, Jacob said, well, swear to me this day. And he swore to him and he sold his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of stew. Sold it cheap. Didn't he? First of all, to be willing to sell it. But then secondly, for what? A bowl of stew. Sold it to him. Verse 34. Then Jacob gave Esau the bread and pottage of lentils. And he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. And thus Esau did what? He despised his birthright. Now what does the Lord do with those that despise him and his things? They are lightly esteemed. You trivialized it, you're going to be trivialized. You treat it with contempt and it's nothing, then what you're doing is going to be treated with contempt and it's nothing. And Jacob, you could say a lot of things about him. Rascal, right? Deceiver, tricker, liar, and he was all of things. But he had a redeeming quality. And you know this is true. With a lot of people, there's a lot of folks that don't go to church. Some of them grew up with some influence and were right. And there are a lot of bad things. But the truth is, there's something in them that still respects some of the things of God. And when it comes right down to it, they will show more respect for some things than some churchgoers will. I've seen it. I've seen it. You have to watch about being around something all the time. You start taking it for granted. Treating it as commonplace. Esau despised his birthright. And what Jacob did wasn't right. And yet, he wound up with blessing. Because this man didn't esteem it, his brother, and he did. Now what we're going to get to, this is something I didn't always know. I learned this in the, in the past five, seven years. When it comes to these things, 
They are not written in stone. This belonged to Esau. It should have been Esau's. But Jacob got it. Even though something should be somebody belong to someone from the Lord. If they don't respect it, if they don't esteem it, if they don't value it, they can lose it. They can forfeit it. And somebody else wind up with it. Now I know a lot of people don't like that. They don't want to hear that. It bothers them. It's a simple fix. Just respect what God gives you. Just esteem it. Just respect it. And you won't be in any danger of losing it. But if you or me, either one, start trivializing it and just treating it with disdain or contempt, you're in danger of losing it. Losing your place. I mean, I thank God and I feel very secure in my place, in our ministry, in the churches. But I am not so foolish as to think. I could start taking everything for granted and treating his things with, without respect and do it for week after week and month after month. He could replace me. Amen. And it would be completely my fault. Now, if I show some respect and treat his things like they're important, I will be secure from now on. He won't replace me and you can't. I'm talking about no man. Same with you. Are you glad about that? But, but, but it's dependent on me continuing to do what I did in the beginning. Not losing my first love. It was precious to me years ago. It should still just be, should it be any less precious to me today? Nor you either. It, was, it used to be important to me. Thank God it still is important to me. Amen. And I stir myself up. And Phyllis and I stir ourselves up. You know one of the most common things going on at our house all the time? Thanksgiving. Amen. I'm telling you. Just on a regular basis. I'll tell Phyllis. Boy aren't we thankful for this? Amen. Aren't we thankful for that? Isn't God good to us? What he did on here? Oh thank you Lord. Thank you Lord. That keeps your mind in the right place. It keeps your heart in the right place. And it's just what ought to be done. When God's been so good to you. There ought to be a steady stream. Of thanksgiving out of your heart. And out of your mouth. And if you get to the place where you don't appreciate it anymore. Then. uh, If somebody else does appreciate it. Then who should have it? Who should have it? Who does God give his precious things to? You need to make up your mind. Somebody might be smarter than you. They might be quicker than you. They might could quote more scriptures than you. But they are not going to appreciate it any more than you do. Amen. Do I have anybody join me on this? Amen. Make up your mind. Nobody's going to appreciate what God's given me more than I do. Yes. And you just stir yourself. And if you'll do that, my friend, you will be secure. You. You're not going to lose it. Not only that, God's going to add to you. He's going to add to you. You're going to get to be a part of even greater. (laughs) In Hebrews 12, go over there please. Hebrews 12. 
Verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that's set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and did what? He despised the shame. Instead of receiving people despising him and despising along with them, he despised the shame. And is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. You've not yet resisted under blood striving against sin, and you've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to children, my son... Do what? Despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you are rebuked of him. When he corrects you, don't despise it. Do you know a lot of time he corrects you through other people? (laughs) Well, we got a big response off of that one, didn't we? Did you feel the surge of excitement? A lot of times it'll come through other people. And when it does, what are you supposed to do? When I was seven, eight, nine, going to school, I won't go into all of it, but there was, we come from the deep south, and there was some family deals that weren't ideal. You ever heard of the Hatfields and McCoys? (laughs) Well, There was just two in my immediate family, myself and my younger brother that was three years younger than me. And uh, there were, uh, man, I don't know, eight of these other boys. And most of them were older and bigger than me. And uh, I got beat up. (laughs) My little brother couldn't back me up. And I mean, sometimes on the school bus, a couple of two or three of these guys would hold me down while the other one beat me up. And I'd get off the bus with a bloody nose and a bloody lip. And my dad said, boy, we got to do something with you. And he put me in a school of martial arts. Old school. We practiced on cement floors with no pads. And it it helped me. It did me a lot of good. It really did. And uh, one of the instructors Well, this was just the mentality of the whole place. They would tell you to do something. And if you didn't do it, the next thing you would feel would be a foot or a hand. And uh, they'd show you the stance. They'd show you the punch. They'd show you the kick. And and if they come back and told you and you weren't paying attention, when words didn't suffice, (laughs) the foot did. And a a common thing was to sweep your feet out from under you and bounce you off the floor, cement floor. And uh, the correct response was, thank you, sir. Everybody practiced that one time. Thank you, sir. Why? Because for some reason you're not getting it. And they're helping you to get it. And it really worked. 
You tended to just pay more attention, especially when the, since they got close. Man, those, those punches sharpened right up and those kicks got brisk. But, you know, you can say what you want to. But a lot of that was about showing respect. Showing respect to the forms, to your instructors, to what was being taught, to what was being said and done. And you can go overboard with that. But at the same time, much of the world now today is far too loose. Would you agree? Far too loose. Anything goes. Everything goes. And if you go to correct somebody, oh man. They're not liable enough to even show up the next day. And next thing you'll hear is you're being accused of verbal abuse. Shall we talk about this just a moment? <laughs> Did you know the Lord actually spoke to my heart about this one time? Because I, I was thinking, Lord, well, what? You know, so many folks are so sensitive. They wear their feelings on their sleeve. You, 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 they will receive no correction. If it's not a compliment couched in soft tones, they won't receive it. Correction? Much less a rebuke. Does the Bible talk about instruction, correction, and also rebuke? Is rebuke fun? No, no, when you're being rebuked, it's not fun. Do you ever need a rebuke? Yes. <laughs> that was a part of the crowd. <laughs> Do you ever need correction? Yes. Have you arrived at Christ-like perfection in your walk? No. Then I reckon you, you and I need some correction, yes. don't we? And if you get some correction, should you despise it? Or should you be thankful that it's helping you, that somebody cares enough about you to be willing to put up with you not enjoying it? I've had people say, well, I love my kids too much to correct them. No, you don't love them enough. You can't stand them being miffed at you or the feelings that you have to deal with. You'd rather let them go and get in trouble. And it might not seem that big of a deal now, but if it's not fixed, you're going to have major problems on your hand when they hit those teenage years. And if they don't show you respect now, they're not going to show the teacher respect, the coach respect, the policeman respect. It just goes on and on and on. But the Lord corrects those he loves, doesn't he? Why? Because he doesn't want you going off the cliff. You know, in flying airplanes, you have to make course corrections. And I mean, flying from Florida to California, if you're off a couple of degrees, you wind up in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> because over a period of 2,000 miles, it just gets, the gap just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. And you have to make course corrections. And I've asked people before, you know, if we're flying alone, and all at once I realize there's a mountain there in the windshield... Would it be okay if I made a drastic course correction and caused you to spill your Coke yeah. and maybe even half throw you out of your chair? Would that be, would that be okay? Yes. Sometimes small corrections suffice. But if you're off course enough, you need a big correction. And you may need somebody yelling, get out of the way, change, move now, move now. And if you go, you're yelling at me, you're yelling. <laughs> well, run into the mountain then, I guess. 
some correction needs to be abrupt. Because it's serious. And it needs to happen now. What that means is you didn't make a lot of little corrections for a long time. And now you're in trouble. (laughs) But in thinking about this, uh, I'm just checking my heart about it. And I'm not talking about being mean. I'm not just talking about yelling for no reason. We ought to be kind all the time. But if you're about to run off the cliff, that is kindness. For somebody to shout at you. And get your attention. And the Lord uh, spoke to my heart. He said yes. He said uh, if I had operated and lived in your day. I would have been accused of verbal abuse. Really? The Lord would have been accused of verbal abuse? Well think about it. Think about it. Have you, have you read the gospel accounts? Have you read them? Did he ever speak sharply to people? Did he? You vipers. How are you going to miss hell? When you make a convert, you make him twice the child of hell that you are. Direct quote. He didn't talk like that all the time. But there were times he did. He reminded me of the situation of Peter walking on the water. And I hadn't thought about it like this, but it just unfolded like this to me in my mind. He helped me to see it. To understand that phrase, if he had lived today, some would have accused him at times of verbal abuse too. The scenario where Peter's walking on the water, but then he got to looking at the wind and waves, and he began to sing, cried out, Lord, save me. And the Lord grabbed him. And what did the Lord tell him? What did he say? Where's your faith? Why did you doubt? That would have been a lot of people. They would have been at their therapist the next day. <laughs> and they would have been explaining. I left everything. Everything. For him. I walked away from it all. We've been there with him. Night and day. Early and late. Long. Hard. Hot. Cold. And did you see anybody else getting out of the boat that night? I don't think so. Do you know how many people in the record of the earth have walked on the water? Jesus and me for a little while. And does he say, good job, Peter? Does he say, all right, Peter? You walked in the water, just you and me is the only one that ever have. No. He says, where's your faith? Where's your faith? Why'd you doubt? I can't take it anymore. That is not enduring hardness as a good soldier. That's being a whiny baby. Whiny baby. Look at your neighbor. Help him out. Say, don't be. A whiny baby. Don't be a whiny baby. If you get corrected, I'm not saying it'll make you feel good. I'm not saying it'll make you happy. Sometimes it rubs your flesh the wrong way. You'll be tempted to get mad, to get upset. But here's the correct response. Thank you, sir. Helps me out. 
He said, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you are rebuked of him. Don't despise it. Skip down to verse 15. He's talking about what happened with Esau. Can you see all this flows together? He kept talking about despising and not despising. And now he's talking about Esau because he is one of the big examples in the Bible of somebody that despised a holy thing of God. He said, verse 15, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of bread sold his birthright. Whose birthright was it? It was his. Who did it belong to? Him. From who? From the Lord. Did he lose it? Yes, he did. Did somebody else wind up with what was his from the Lord? Yes. Yes. That's a revelation we need to get. All this is not set in stone. It's yours if you'll value it. If you'll esteem it. If you'll honor it. If you'll appreciate it. Verse 17, you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Now this is how real the blessing is. You remember the story. How that after this happened, I guess years passed, some time passed. And Esau and Jacob's dad's about to die and go home. And it's time for him to bestow the blessing on the firstborn. And uh, Jacob figures, I bought this thing. It's mine. And him and his mom framed up to go in and pretend that he's his brother. And for his dad to pronounce the blessing of the birthright of the firstborn on him. And they did that. And Esau was also, he was planning on coming and getting it, even though he had sold it to his brother. And uh, when Jacob came in and his father said, well, come close to me, because he couldn't see. He was old and had lost most of his vision. And he said, uh, well, now you, uh, you smell like Esau. Because he had his clothes on and stuff. He got some Esau's clothes. And he said, uh, you know, he put that goat's hair on his arms. Because Esau had hairy arms. And he said, and you got, you know, the hairy arms. He said, but you don't sound like him. And I don't know how all he convinced him, but he did. And so his father spoke over him. You know, if he prayed over him, if he laid hands on him. But he spoke the blessing of the firstborn over him. These things are holy, friend. These things are precious. They matter. They mean something. They have power in life. Well, Esau comes in and uh, his father was alarmed and he said, what do you mean? You're Esau. Esau was just in here. He said, no, no, I just got back from my hunting. Here's the food that you asked for. And, And he said, no, he said, your brother has come in and taken your blessing." And he'll be blessed too. Now see a lot of people might think. Oh well just X that. Then never mind. I'll do it for you. Or I'll do the same. He knew he couldn't. These things are so real. And so powerful. 
They're not, this is not toys. This is not playing with something. This is not just mumbling some things with no effect. He said, no, I've blessed him and he will be blessed. Amen. Amen. Esau cried. He said, can't you give it to me? He said, no. Well, do you have anything for me? And so he checked his heart and he prayed over him and gave him a lesser blessing. Are these things real? Saints. But whose fault was all this? Esau. Why? Because he despised his birthright. Go with me please to the book of Numbers. Book of Numbers please. Actually let's see I'm moving a little too fast. On your way to Numbers stop at Psalms. Psalms 106 as you go by Go by. Stop. Psalm 106. Then we're going to Numbers 13, I believe. Are these things important? Are they worth talking about? Yes, they are. Do you want the good things of God in your life? You want the full blessing. You want everything that you are supposed to have in His plan for your life. Well, those that honor Him are the ones He honors. And we want to identify this despising, and we want to eliminate it from our lives. Being respectful is godly. It's not just a, a southern thing or a this thing or a X generation thing or a, you know, whatever people might, they're usually people, whatever their background is, they tend to think that's it. It's no, these are all manifestations of godliness. If there is respect. Respect is godly. In contrast. Disrespect is devilish. Despising. Running things down. Being negative about it. And and, and devaluing it. Is devilish. That's how he does all the time. God sees your heart. And he sees you and I in Christ. If we hold faith in what he's done in Christ. And he's not looking to find faults. You reckon he could? Could he put you under the spotlight? Well, he's not looking at that. And he's not looking for that. He's not the condemner. You and I have been justified by our faith in Christ. But now you want to be like him. When you're looking at somebody else, or when you're looking at a situation, you want to call it what he calls it, and you want to emphasize the good and not the bad, emphasize the good and not the evil. Now, in Psalm 106, I want you to notice what happened concerning the promised land that God selected and gave to his people. Psalm 106.24 says, yea, they did what? They despised the pleasant land. They believed not his word. But they murmured in their tents and hearkened not to the voice of the Lord. Therefore he lifted up his hand against them to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow their seed among the nations and to scatter them in the lands. How were they treated? Not well. In response to how they treated him and his plan for their life, they despised 
the pleasant land, they despised the good land. From the beginning, in Exodus, before they ever got delivered out of Egyptian bondage, in the beginning of their deliverance, God was declaring to them, Exodus 3, 8, you don't have to turn there. He said, I'm come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Now you've heard that before. A good land. A land that flows with milk and honey. When God says it's a good land, what should you say? It's a good land. The first generation that he got out of Egypt that was supposed to go into, what did they say? They despised it, the Bible says. They despised it. So is it a good land or is it a bad land? Don't let this be too simple for you. This is vitally important. Is it a good land or a bad land? Are you sure? It would depend on who you listened to. It would depend on who you asked. Go to Numbers and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Numbers 13. This is when they've been delivered out of Egyptian bondage. They've come through the Red Sea. Their spies have been sent into the land. It's time to go get the land. They're there. All the things they've heard about for so long. The plan of God. The time has come. So they sent 12 spies to verify exactly what was there. To get a, put their eyes on it and see. And verse 25, Numbers 13, 25. They returned from searching the land after 40 days. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron, to all the congregation of the children of Israel, to the wilderness of Paran, to Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation, and they showed them the fruit of the land. And the fruit was just off the chart. Amazing. You know the story. Had to haul the grape clusters on a rod between men. You you talk about miracle grow. (laughs) This was blue ribbon fair you know, contest winning produce. Big, luscious, sweet tasted, amazing. They'd never seen anything like this. Well, it shouldn't be surprising. God picked it out for you. And God said, it's a good land. Didn't he say that? It's a good land. It flows with milk and honey. I've selected it for you. I've picked it out for you. And they got evidence that it's true. Verse 28. Nevertheless. Now what does nevertheless mean? But. But but let's look at it closer. What does nevertheless mean? Nevertheless means never mind everything we just said. Because this is all that matters. Nevertheless. In effect means never mind. That the fruit is amazing. The produce is amazing. Because we're never going to see any of it. Because there's no way, no how. We'll ever be able to get that. It'll never be ours. We'll never live there. So what does it matter? 
And they proceeded on to say it's not a good land. It's a bad place where we all would die. The people strong that dwell in the land. The cities are walled. Very great. We saw the children of Anak there. The giants. The Amalekites dwell in the land in the south. The Hittites. The Jebusites. The Amorites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea. In other words, there's enemy everywhere. They're bigger than us. They're stronger than us. There's no way. Caleb stilled the people before Moses. Did they need a major course correction? He gets up and says, hush, hush, be quiet. Listen, let us go up now at once and get this. Let's take it. Let's possess it because we are well able to overcome it. He's confessing Philippians 4.13 before there was a Philippians 4.13. Isn't it? He's saying, I can do all things. <laughs> we, we can do this. We are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people because they are stronger than we. They're at an impasse. They are not working this out. And what did they do? Verse 32, what did they do? They brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, the land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof. And all the men, the people that we saw in there, were men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, that come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. Which they found out later. The next generation found out that was a lie. They were actually scared of them. It wasn't true. But they're completely convinced of it now. But notice the phrase. They brought up a what? Evil report of the land. What did they say about the land? It's a land that will chew you up. And spit you out. It's a bad land. It's a, you want to die? Then go over there. It's a place of death. It's a place of ruin and destruction. Friend, this is serious business. When you call evil what God calls good. How much more disrespectful can you be? God says it's a good land. It flows with milk and honey. It's amazing. I got it for you. He didn't tell them about the giants. He didn't want to. He's already got a plan. Right? They said they couldn't do it. But was it true? The next generation did it. Proven the first generation could have done it. But the reason they didn't. Is because they despised What God said was good. They discounted it. They said it's an evil place. It'll chew you up. It'll eat you up. And we just got through reading in in Psalms. Said they despised it. They despised it. That's why I asked earlier. Is it a good land? Or a bad land? 
Well, that's easier for you to say sitting up in here on a padded chair, but did they think it's a good land? Most of the people here? No. Well, was it a good land? Not if you ask them. It's a place to die. It's an evil land full of giants, full of monsters, place you do not want to go. It's a bad place, place to be scared of, place to stay away from. And friend, this is as disrespectful as you can get. God says it's what? It's a good land. And what are they saying? It's a bad land. For chapter 14, they decided to make them a new captain. <laughs> huh? Get a new pastor. <laughs> Go another direction. Do you know, faith angers unbelief. If somebody's vision is bigger than yours, and their faith is greater than yours, and you're looking at it going, ain't no way. And they go, yeah, there's a way. Let's believe God and do it. And you're going, no. You got a choice. You're either going to come up or you're going to get mad at them. You're going to get mad at them. Try to find some fault with them. And they got so mad, they wanted to kill Joshua and Caleb. They wanted to stone them. Verse 6, Joshua the son of Nun, Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were with them, they searched the land. They rent their clothes because these people are saying they can't do it. They tore their clothes and they said spoke to the company. They said, the land which we passed through to search it is what? It's what? It's a good land. Man, we're hearing conflicting reports. Aren't we? Is it a good land? Or is it a bad land? Depends on who you ask. Depends on who you listen to. I'm not sure why you keep saying that. Are you in a good church? Or a bad church? Depends on who you ask. Depends on who you listen to. You got a good spouse? Or a bad spouse? Oh boy. Did we lose some momentum on that one? Got a good job or a bad job? Are you sure? See, if God gave it to you, it's still in this world. There's still the imperfections of the curse-affected earth. There's stuff, and I don't care if it was a God-ordained, God-given thing. You can still look at negatives and find faults and say it's bad. Or you can focus on what he said, right, and talk about how good it is. And if you talk about how good it is, you are going to be esteeming what he esteems and calling good what he calls good. Now what the devil wants to do is to get you to call what God calls good bad. Hear people say, man, I can't believe how much they've changed. Because they were so infatuated with them in the beginning. And they've just changed so much. Have they changed so much? Or did your valuing change so much? You see people just elated, excited to be a part of a church, be a part of a ministry, be a part of believer friends and and good things. 
But invariably, when the honeymoon's over and the new wire's off, the enemy will come. And he wants to point out this and point out that. And point out this and point out that. And point out this and point out that. This is wrong. And this is not right. And this is not right. And this is wrong. And this is not right. Walled cities. Walled cities. Walled cities. Walled cities. And giants, giants, giants. And mean people. Mean people everywhere. Had all them ites. Right? Jebusite. Is that right? Ites everywhere. True or not? Amalekites, Hittites, Amorites, Jebusites, Canaanites. Ites everywhere. And those ites are bad. Bad ites. Should you be talking about the ites? Should you be talking about the walls? When the walls are there. All those ites are there. But should you be talking about that? Oh, friend, I hope you're not missing this. This is what has happened to marriages and families and ministries and churches that get to the point where they used to think each other was the greatest thing they'd ever seen. And in a matter of time now, they despise each other. And they despise that church and despise that pastor. They despise their spouse. They despise that job. Did the job change that much? Did that person really change? Yeah, I think they did. No, no. Let me tell you what changed. Your valuation of it changed. And that's dangerous because if it's something the Lord gave you and it's something he said was good and you start calling it bad and you just start constant stream of fault finding, you're in danger of losing it. And the thing is, you'll take yourself out of it because you're so convinced it's so bad and lose it. They took their self out of this. It was theirs from the Lord. All these people have ever known was slavery, a base, hard, awful life. And God's got a plan for them. Houses you didn't build, wells you didn't dig, vineyards and orchards you didn't plant in their lifetime right now. And all you got to do is agree with God. What he calls good, you call good. And you don't let somebody pull you away to looking and talking about the giants and the walls and the ites. You're not going to be able to go anywhere on this planet without finding some walls and some ites. They're everywhere. But if you talk about them and you focus on them and you're just a negative soul and that's all you do is find fault and gripe and complain, you'll disqualify yourself, disqualify yourself, disqualify yourself. Somebody say, not me, not me. By the grace of God, I will not be a fault finder. I will not be a despiser. I'm a glorifier. I'm not going to despise. The devil's a despiser. His crowd is a demeanor, a belittler, a devaluer. God is the God 
who looks, looks at you, looks at me and says, I've made you holy. I've made you righteous. I've made you clean. I've made you acceptable. Now, you want to argue with him and say, no, let me show you this. I mean, this is, look at this. We got walls. We got heights. We got. No, 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 no. If he says you're clean, if he says you're good, you say, I'm clean. I'm good. And is that not because of what I did, because of what Jesus did. And when he gives you somebody in your life and he says they're good, never call them anything else. When he puts something in your life, says, I've given you a good job. I've given you a good place. I've given you a good church, a good ministry. Don't let anybody talk to you about walls and heights. If he says it's good, it's good. And he's right. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. When he's uh, telling them about judgment, that they're going to be wandering around in the wilderness and perishing. They're not going to be going into the land. Look what he says about it in verse 35. Verse 31, let's get that too. Verse 31, he said, your little ones, which you said should be a prey, them will I bring in. Where's he going to bring them in? The good land. And they shall know the land which you have despised. And they're not going to call it despised. They're going to call it good. They're going to be living in the house they didn't build. Drinking out of the well they didn't dig. Verse 36. And the men which Moses sent to search the land who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against him by bringing up a what? Slander on the land. They called it evil. They called it bad. They called it a death place. And Hebrews says, Hebrews 4, 1 and 3, just put it up on the screen for us in closing, I think. Hebrews 4 applies it to you and me in the church now. What happened to them? He said, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Keep going. For unto us was the gospel, the good news preached, as well as unto them. Now, what gospel was preached to them? The good news about the good land. Gospel just means good news. The good news about the good land. When you believe it, what do you do? You shout. You celebrate. Yeah, but there's walls. Yeah, what of it? Yeah, there's giants. Well, God knew those giants were going to be there. Yeah, but what about all them mites? Forget about all them mites. God said it's ours and it's a good land. Let's celebrate because it's a good land. Amen. That's the person that's going to keep what God gave to them. They're not going to lose it. But the word did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Keep reading. For we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, I've, as I've sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. What works? That land was theirs. When I say theirs, the first generation that got brought out of Egyptian bondage, that was their land. And it had been the plan of God for them to have it from the foundation of the world. Did they have it? Did they live in it? No. 
They wandered around out in the desert and they died. Was that the plan of God? No. No. This was always the plan of God. But can you lose what was God's plan for you? If you call evil what he called good. If you despise what he gave. What would have been the correct response? Caleb and Joshua are the correct response. We which have believed do enter into what? What about the walls? What about the giants? What about, what about, what about? Faith says shut up. Shut up. I'm going to rest in God. What are we going to do about it? We're not going to get worked up. We're not going to get mad. We're not going to get frustrated. We're not going to fault fine. We're going to rest. We're going to rest, rest, rest. And we're going to sing songs about going in. What are we going to do? Oh, it's a good land. And it's mine. I'm going to go in. And find mine. I'm going to live in my house. Drink water out of my well. Oh it's good. Yes good. And it's mine. I'm going to take what's mine. God gave it to me and it's fine. I know that sounds humorous. But what am I talking about? I'm talking about not being. Biting your teeth. Nails on the chalkboard. Are y'all with me? The giants, giants, giants. Shut up about the giants. God said, it's a good land. And it's your land. And that's all you need to know. That's all you need to know. Come on, somebody. Stand on your feet. Everybody stand on your feet. Hallelujah. Said out loud. It's a good land. And it's mine. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Close your eyes. Whatever the Lord gave you is good. He didn't give you something bad. Stop fault finding. Stop calling evil what he calls good. Oh, hallelujah. Every good gift Every complete and perfect gift has come down from above, from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither a shadow of turning. Oh, hallelujah. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.